Good morning. Welcome backwards to Bodhi Speak. Today we are going to talk about integration work. Integration work from what? Integration work from transformative experiences. And a transformative experience can be many things. It could be a meditation retreat. It could be a long period of isolation. It could be COVID. <laughs> it could be uh, ayahuasca. It could be a psychedelic experience. It could be traveling to another country in a faraway land and then returning home, dealing with culture, culture shock. It's uh, having undergone a shift, a metamorphosis, a shedding of your skin and a awakening on some degree, on some level, where things have shifted, things have changed, something has reoriented itself within your inner world and your perception, and you're trying to understand and find a way to bridge whatever it is that has shifted inside of you with the outside world. Uh, in the hero's journey, I believe Joseph Campbell refers to this as sharing the boon, B-O-O-N, with the world, uh, which is to say the hot space heater here, <laughs> which is to say the uh, the beauty and the magic and the power of whatever it is you have experienced. How do you take that inner power, inner vision, inner revelation, epiphany, whatever you want to refer to it as, and be able to have that become an aspect of your daily life. And this is a very challenging process. In the retreats that I facilitate, where we work with people through a number of different modalities of transformative experiences, utilizing ancient and modern methods of many different sorts and shapes, sounds and colors to bring people to a place of this experience. And uh, we like to tell people always at the end of the retreat when we have the integration circle, this is the moment where the real work begins. This is where you are now accessing the difficult part, which is a funny thing to say a lot of times if you haven't heard it before. For a lot of people who've come to do transformative work, that's kind of like a cliche statement. This is where the real work is, the integration work. And But if you haven't heard that, the reason that I say it can be a little like shocking is because generally to experience an awakening on some level, to undergo a rite of passage uh, of any sorts is like going through a gauntlet. It requires a, uh, a sacrificing, a death of the ego and a rebirthing process. And oftentimes that can be so powerful that it can lead you to believe that you have arrived. You've made it. <laughs> the destination is here. No more work is to be done. So then it can be kind of like a brutal wake-up call to realize, no, actually, in fact, that was more just like the teaser for the movie that is to come, which is called integration work. And integration work is kind of like a funny word, phrase, because ultimately, what is integration work? It's changing your life. It's reorienting your psyche. It's repositioning who you are in society. And to the greatest degree of your willpower's capacity, 
activating your transcendental nature, which is nothing short of a miracle, in my opinion. To actually be able to do that is not easy. It is profoundly difficult. And worked with a lot of people this year, a lot of people, and I am always feeling that there's never enough time to go into the full depth of integration work with people. And ultimately, it's impossible, right? Because there's no end. Even if you become enlightened, so to speak, <laughs> there will be... What would that mean, right? You've arrived so that you, you just sit there in nothingness. It's an absurd point when we start to actually think about what the uh, the mythology, quote-unquote, of enlightenment would look like. It's a totally ridiculous, I would say, asinine <laughs> premise. The idea that you just sit there and you never do anything and there's no one there and no one's home and it's total nothingness. And, like, that's antithetical to life. That's opposition to life. Life is dynamic. It's, uh, it's engaging. It's challenging. It is stimulating. It is all about finding an equanimity and a balance in that stillness, but in deep motion. And participation is probably the word that I want to use the most here. Participation. It's not a dropping out. It's not a removal. It's a renunciation but it's a renunciation more so of how perhaps we are participating. And that might be a really limited way to put it, but I don't want to get too off into my uh, naive <laughs> and uh, infantile definitions of enlightenment. That's not the intention here. The intention here is we want to talk a little bit about how do we take some experience that has brought more light into our life and allow it to inform us as we move through the world in daily life. And Maestro Manuel often likes to say, bring illumination to your daily life. And I think that is a wonderful way to frame things because we can start to think, oh, illumination is some far-off thing in the future, or it's something that comes through years of meditation or tons of plant medicine ceremonies or lots of breath work or cold exposure or fasting or going to live in India or something like this. And when in actuality what it is is how can we make our daily actions be an expression of the consciousness and intention and compassion and heart-centeredness that we connected with through these transformative experiences. And one thing that oftentimes comes to us when we have these experiences is like, I'm going to change my life. You know, I'm going to go in this direction. I'm going to make it happen. I see the vision, I have the experience, I know where I'm going and how I'm going to get there and what I'm going to do. And perhaps it's not that detail-oriented, but the experience of going through a death and rebirth, right, a passage and having this hero's journey experience of the reorientation and opening and flowering of the psyche and consciousness and your chakras and all these things happening is uh, this sense of optimism and hope. And if there's one thing that I can share about integration work, perhaps it would be abandon hope. Abandon hope. Because, well, 
things come together and things fall apart. Whatever comes together is going to fall apart. Anytime something falls apart, eh, something else will come back together. And this this idea of abandoned hope as things fall apart and things come together, uh, obviously, if you're familiar, comes from the work of Pema Chodra and the Buddhist nun, who I'm a big fan of and I've talked a lot about on this podcast. But it's this premise of just understanding impermanence and change and the dissatisfactory nature of life. Remember, when the Buddha said life is dukkha, it's often mistranslated to suffering. It's a Pali word that means dissatisfactory. Whenever you get something that you finally want, it dissipates. Most of the time, you're not getting what you want, and you're getting what you don't want. So, abandon hope in the integration work. It makes it a much more easy way to work with the raw material because it gives us more of a reality. Uh, It gives us more of a grounded perspective and we strip and free ourselves, which is liberating, cathartic, from unreal expectations. And I think expectations are one of the things that hold us back very deeply in integration work. Uh, And especially as you start to do the practices, because I will speak in transparency that the practices work. I mean, they bring you somewhere. They do something to you. There is no doubt as to their efficacy and their power. That being said, the way that they work, what it means to be free from something is in so many ways very different than what you might think it is going to look, feel, smell, touch, taste like. It might be something that ultimately is on some level disappointing where maybe you thought that integration work would bring you wealth, positive relationships, success, fame, fortune, this kind of uh, materialism, spiritual materialism, this idea that we're going to get somewhere and we're going to be somebody. We're going to have something to do and something to say, something important. It's going to prop up the ego. And and in the process of doing the work, instead, what we find is it's a very humbling and bitter-tasting medicine that brings us really deeply in touch with our pain and the contradiction that is at the heart of being a human being or being a spiritual being coping with the human experience. And coming in contact with that rawness and it's like wow okay this is at the core of who I am is that this paradox is contradiction and this sense of there's a stability and a way of relating in the world that falls apart and then something else comes and it's falling apart and it's moving like this and anytime we want to get grounded in it, it's constantly shifting. And it just, it kind of plays with us. People like to say the universe has like a trickster spirit. And I think this is a very true thing. So our teacher, my Shimon Well, also likes to say, never get too comfortable. So you know that if you are becoming very comfortable and you think you're figuring something out and you have hopeful expectations about your integration work and you know where you're going and how you're going to get there, be careful. <laughs> I don't recommend taking that path. Uh, 
that's not one that I would have much confidence in. I believe somewhere in the Tao Tai Ching, it says something along the lines of the master uh, weakens the student's ambitions and desires, but toughens and hardens their resolve. So we're going to kind of drop into a little bit more. I'm going to keep going to go into this philosophy that I want to put forth here, because I think that having this framework of, of a philosophy, which is in itself a yoga, not just intellectually, but also in our action, in our meditation, in our emotional restraint and observation and mindfulness, in our way of speech, in our way of thought, in everything that we do. As the Buddha said, all that we are is a result of what we have thought. So I'm going to like kind of lay out a lot of philosophical framework on how to frame and understand these perspectives of transformative experiences and how to bring them into the contradiction that is the human experience to the best of my capacity from many years of living in monastic community and with working with many indigenous elders and working and sharing a lot of practices with many people from all over the world. And before I go any further, I am completely a student, which means I'm a complete fool. <laughs> and that I am constantly failing. And my intention in sharing this stuff is coming from a place of wanting to master the material better myself and feeling that I could do better. I could just do better. Like, why is this situation arising? Why is this reaction arising? Why is this... Uh, all the things that you don't want to have happen. Why is that happening? Okay. You know, lots of great things too, but this is all just coming from my own efforts to in my pursuit of self-mastery. And simultaneously, perhaps even more important, is my desire to want to share the things that have empowered and benefited my life tremendously with other people. And... By no means do I consider myself a master of any of this stuff, but I find through my essential regurgitation and study of it and offering it through this podcast and other means to people, it becomes a little bit easier to walk the path each day. And that's really what I'm at these days in my own integration from these transformative experiences is I just want to feel that I'm making progress on the path. And that in itself is a contradiction because where are we trying to get to? <laughs> what are we trying to arrive at? As if God is in some place far off on the distant mountaintop. It's not something that's in the present moment here at this very second with us. So it's a constant, I believe, paradoxical striving for something, putting forth right effort, because without right effort, how can we ever uh, expect to grow as people? Because we are a reflection of nature. And if you look at the observation of nature, if you look at seeds, tiny little thing that gets planted in mud, shit, worms, bugs, other things growing on top of it, people walking on it. It's like the most humble, downtrodden, beaten up thing there is. And then what happens to that seed? Tremendous growth expansion it utilizes the forces around it the obstacles it utilizes the humility and the 
simplicity to expand. And not without effort, though. But it's an it's right effort. That's that's one of the main things to emphasize, as as the Buddha would talk about in the Noble Eightfold Path. Right effort. It's not an effort that is rooted in necessarily. How would you say? Overexertion. It's in accordance with nature, and that's the kind of effort that we want to put forth on our integration work. It is in accordance with nature. And it's an interesting thing at this time in human history. Not that I've ever been around for any other time of human history, at least in this incarnation. But if you look at it, it's so easy to be absorbent and complacent and passive and apathetic and lazy and a consumer of nonsense. It's extraordinarily easy to take that approach, to just be a consumer of content and to just sit back and as this is going on, have this slow boil like the lobster or they say the frog in the pot. They just slowly boil it till it's death where you're sitting there wondering when and it's like it's like the silent voice. Why is life like this? Why am I so disempowered and disenfranchised and disabled? When did things go wrong? When am I ever going to make a difference to change that? And this is the attitude in the disposition that we essentially have to rebel against. And so this is an integration work these days in a lot of ways for a lot of people has to be a rebellion. And that can be like a really initially sounding uh, controversial statement. But think about it. Because most of us are not living in environments that are oriented towards self-growth, independent, autonomous thought and action, uh, communalism, collectivization, selfless action. We're more, in the way the society is structured, oriented towards capitalistic, hierarchy, uh, mechanistic, over-dehumanizing technologies talked to many people recently they're just feeling depersonalized and dehumanized by their work they go from one box to another box to look at this box and only hear that box that tells them you're free a series of, of prison cells that we have imposed upon ourselves so for a lot of people if you find yourself in this situation it is in many ways a rebellious act and a necessary rebellious act to integrate properly these experiences. If we have a, been doing the work, perhaps we have found the others, as Terence McKenna would like to say, who are equally inspired towards evolution and growth. Because we're, at the end of the day, we're not going against anyone. Maybe institutions on some level, but it's more of a revolution than a rebellion. Because right, a rebellion is something you're going against. And to be fair... Buddhism is a reaction against Hinduism, very clearly. If you read uh, Houston Smith's book uh, on contemporary religion and so on, he's talking about how Buddhism is a reaction against Hinduism. It's not about, uh, it's coming out of the corruption of Hinduism that Buddhism arises. That's what drove the Buddha out and a lot of other seekers. 
And so there's a moment where, you know, rebellion is important. But then more importantly, you want to evolve the rebellion to revolution. And that's in a lot of ways what this podcast is about. It's like, what does revolution really look like? Because revolution is a creative act. It's a diversifying act. It's a unifying act. It's a celebratory act. And for people who are caught in fixed perceptions and roles, uh, whether it be in race, religion, gender, socioeconomic status, religion, whatever it is, that can be really confusing because a true revolutionary is bringing everyone into the picture and saying, we're all welcome here. It's okay. We're all part of the whole. Everyone is part of the workable field. So what I want people to take away from how to integrate a transformative experience is you have to, at some moment, you have to rebel against systems and repressive institutions and societal functions. You have to push back against people and things that are trying to control your perception and your value system and your character and your disposition, your ethics, all the things, right? But then we need to take it once we push back and utilize creative action, which is where we find our real power. Because the initial reaction is like a springboard, right? We're, we're bouncing off the momentum of saying no to something. And just to say no to something, that's powerful because a lot of people just are afraid to say no. I have been there and there's been many times, I'm sure in the future, that will come where I will fail to say no. <laughs> this is me just checking myself here. But saying no creates, okay, now we can cut the cord a little bit from the machine. And then from there, the next step in our evolution and our empowerment which is coming from a real place of discipline and humility and work ethic from what I have found is in our creative action is not going back to the comfort zone, the, the mechanistic dehumanizing little womb, the pod and the matrix that you know, the people are in that the machines are feeding off. It's about, okay, we're not going back there. We already rebelled against that. There's no turning back now. Can't go back to that. We need to create our way. We need to become fearless. And that's actually a statement I want to retract. We don't need to become fearless. We need to take on courage. Courage is the perspective that we need to take. And I love to talk about the virtue of courage in these transformative works that we do for people. And the reason is because it is scary. It is frightening to go through a transformational experience. And then even more frightening to actually attempt to implement what your revelation was in context of the larger society, especially when we're surrounded by people that are either blind or are pretending to be blind and are, have a vested interest in keeping you and everyone else around them blind. And we all do this on some level. And that's one of the funny things I think about this process is that we start to realize all the things that we're looking outside of us as repressive or oppressive or restraining or constricting those forces are equally active oftentimes inside of us in ways that we're not even aware of. 
And it's a painful recognition. But once we start to quote-unquote do the work, activate yoga, meditation, proper diet, good sleep, community service, creative action, spiritual discipline, time in nature, exercise, all these these crucial things to becoming a full, happy, healed, and integral human being, we find that these uh, lower nature traits exist very deeply within us. Okay, painful wake-up call. But this is why they say this is where the real work is. <laughs> and there's a quote here. So I, I wrote something out. I'm going to kind of use as a template. And... There's a quote that I wrote to start it with by a Greek poet, and I cannot pronounce the ra- name right, Archiluchus, <laughs> something like that. Enchilada? No, that's not it. <laughs> well, anyways, A-R-C-H-I-L-O-C-H-U-S, Archiluchus, that's a difficult one. But he is a quote that says, You do not rise to the level of your expectations, you fall to the level of your training. And that's how I want people to look at your integration work it is training training you for what (laughs) that's an interesting question to become evolved to evolve the human species to get us out of this mess that we have found ourselves in and this is a very powerful quote it's actually used by a lot of people in the military you don't rise to the level of your expectations you fall to the level of your training and this is a extremely important mantra to remember that you have to earn your keep so to speak daily you have to do the practices daily you have to orient your existence around the practices the training and The training can look like all types of things. At different moments, it will be different things. But when we decide to take the approach of, I want to become free no matter what, and attempt to hold that as a value over our egoic survival needs and concerns, we will become challenged. Life will present to us a series of tests. This was always happening, but perhaps now we have a slightly more refined degree of consciousness that is able to sense and become aware of how these things are just tests for us to elevate and expand and come in contact with our actual gifts and our service that we really were put on earth to offer to the world and become the person that we were supposed to become. And it's a really important, humbling reminder that when things get difficult and when things get tough, painful, and, oh my God, this is challenging. We all think that, you know, the transcendental force inside of us, which exists, the divine spark, which exists inside of us, and at times pulls us out of crazy messes and protects us from all kinds of things, But we have a tendency to have a romanticized, idealized version of who we are that's not grounded and rooted in discipline and 
trialed, and tested. But we have this falsified notion of ourselves and our capacity. And the reality is that you won't rise to the level of your expectations. Maybe you will sometimes. I've seen it happen in myself and in other people. I didn't know I was capable of that, you say. And as a former athlete for many years, I can attest that this is definitely a real phenomenon, that there's moments where the underdog wins. The higher nature overcomes your overbearing lower faculties. It happens. But more often than not, you fall to the level of where your training is, where your conditioning is. So, a wise person, or a good student, however you want to put it, is one that is consistently taking initiation to put themselves in a place where they can be trained to take on whatever stressors, skills, mindset, philosophy, ethics, creative pursuits, and choosing the approach of being a student, always being a student, approaching everything as a student in order to learn, grow, expand, and move, knowing that adversity is always around the corner. Life is always looking to ambush us with something. It's just the way the thing moves. It's always shifting. It's always changing. It's always trying to school us. So one should get to work and begin practicing. And as the Buddha said, decay is inherent in all things. Work out your... (laughs) What did he say? Work out your uh, salvation with diligence, I think is the way, that the, the final words of the Buddha as he, as he passed away. Decay is inherent in all things. Work out your salvation with diligence. Do not sit around waiting for something to happen. Take action. Become on the offensive. Move into the realm of discomfort. Dare and take risks to activate something that has been dormant inside of you get into cold water wake up early meditate fast pray put yourself out there and express yourself find some way to activate your nervous system and the dormant energies be willing to do something that might make you look crazy in order to lighten things up So, not only will you only fall to the level of your training, but you have to also initiate the training. You have, it's not just something that will come to you because there will be tests and there will be circumstances. Life is always changing. But if you can start to take the offensive and become an initiator and a creator in life, then. We can start to align ourselves with the forces and the currents of life. So this manual is a cookbook. It's And by manual, I also mean this podcast because I have a written component that I'm going to send to some friends, but it's also something that is a auditory experience. But it's not an intellectual pursuit. It's meant to be listened to or read and then practiced. So I have a lot of practices in here. 
And if you only approach it as an intellectual pursuit, it its value is is what entertainment, and and that's the last thing that I'm really looking to do with this podcast. I I could give a shit about entertaining anybody. I I don't care about that. Uh, the last thing I want to do is entertain you. Uh, there's moments where I can make people laugh, and like entertainment comes into the whole thing because it's not meant to be heavy. But I'm interested in seeing people's lives get changed. I'm interested in people uh, saying that I'm no longer going to be a victim of my circumstances. I'm going to take action and overcome and change the things I need to do. And this information helped me. Thank you. Cool. Like, that's what I'm interested in. So, you know, integration from transformative, transformational work can be difficult, confusing. It can be really fun. It can also be painful, disheartening, and really inspiring. In short, it's really all the things. So changing your, changing and bringing illumination to daily life through consciousness, willpower, self-discipline, perseverance, service to something greater than yourself, and challenging yourself to grow through discomfort. So willpower. A lot of people, I think, especially like in New Age communities and circles and things like that, get into this really overly gentle uh, like feelings and everything and it can really I, I really don't like that it's it's kind of repulsive to me in some ways and there's like moments where that's really important to be like gentle gentleness is strength I don't think anyone's going to disagree with that. If you become a very gentle person, it's a reflection that you're a very strong person. Self-control. So that's an act of willpower. But we're not talking about becoming gentle as a... We're not criticizing that. What we're criticizing is not initiating a position of self-control in ourselves where we're becoming overwhelmed by our emotions and swept away by them and we don't know we're not grounded and we're not able to have a clear sense of how to move with overwhelming emotion so the act of cultivating willpower is not a woo wooey like let me just sit and talk about my feelings it's it's a it's about doing things you don't want to do. It's about doing things that are uncomfortable and at times they hurt. Uh, getting into ice water, it hurts on some level. It can hurt. And sitting in Vipassana meditation, the first time I went and sat, oh my God, it was painful. Like there's not, I don't think there's any other word. The whole experience for the first 10 days was painful. The whole, the whole retreat, uh, I was only 20 years old at the time and it was just it was just like hard knock it just it sucked it felt like I was being stabbed in the legs the whole time and I remember I think like half the course of people were there were there quit uh, and what this is a byproduct of right is we need to we need to toughen ourselves up we need to become a little bit more resolved and tolerant towards pain, 
towards discomfort. And this process of cultivating willpower is absolutely fundamental to integration work. It is something that must be at the forefront of our mind. All the times when we think we can't go any further, it's oftentimes we're just selling ourselves really short. We can always go further. We can always take one more step. We always can move into deeper levels of adversity. If you look at the grand scheme of human beings, I always like to tell people this. We used to hunt woolly mammoths. (laughs) We used to have spears and we used to hunt woolly mammoths and live in caves. Your nervous system, your your physique, your psyche, your emotional well-being, it hasn't changed at all since that time period. The only thing that has shifted are the external social comforts where we can live in 72 degrees all year round, warm clothing, and the conditioning that has followed that in a lot of ways. We haven't necessarily evolved in any other way. And if our ancestors were capable of living in such a fierce way with such a capacity to endure such tremendous adversity, you are no different. But you have forgotten what you're capable of. And the only way to really remember that is to put yourself in situations that are tremendously overwhelming and require a very strong self-discipline and willpower to navigate through. And there's ways to do that that are totally safe, in terms of your experience of it, they're very frightening. Cold water is like one of the, the perfect examples. It's what's you know it's what's used by indigenous traditions in the Americas, also in Russia, many places in Europe. It's also what's used in like the special forces community in the military. It's something that it just is uncomfortable and it's scary. It is scary. When you get into ice water at a certain moment and you're there past a certain point, it is legitimately frightening. And that stress and that fear response goes off. And then what happens is this really beautiful thing where the mind starts to say, I can't do this anymore. I'm freaking out. I'm losing control. And then it dissipates. And the wisdom of the nervous system the power of the human form, whatever you want to call it, because it's spiritual, but it's also physical, just overrides that completely. And you're brought to a place of transcendence, and you're able to plateau. And you're able to see that, oh, whenever I think that I can't take enough, I'm just at a... (laughs) I'm just at a checkpoint. There's always... A greater degree of intensity or I don't want to say necessarily pain but that could be a part of it as well that the human system can take and we're incredibly adaptable incredibly strong and so much of what we have going on today with the mental health crisis that's going on in the world with mental emotional issues and Obesity, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, tobacco, pornography, internet addiction, too much TV, terrible diet, 
this is all a byproduct of us not wanting to face our discomfort. This is all byproduct of us wanting to remain in a place of complacency and passivity and not feel that fear that comes from this is the unknown. This is something that is beyond my ordinary threshold. And we fear it only because we have yet to fully go past that known barrier. Once we start to, on a daily basis, familiarize ourselves with what it's like to go past and expand beyond that limiting barrier through the act of bringing illumination to our daily life by activating our willpower, we begin to become comfortable with our discomfort. We begin to thrive where other people are in a panic. We are able to take on a position of leadership where other people are frazzled and they're looking for guidance. And we're able to take on a position of service to other people and be of real benefit where other people are preoccupied with feeding themselves to the point of excess, which is a metaphorical way of saying a lot of things. And this becomes a very empowering and meaningful position to find ourselves in, especially if we have come out of a prior life of victimization, trauma, feeling run down, disempowered, disenfranchised, alienated, separated. All of a sudden, we are now in a place of, okay, we can carry the load. We can be a support for somebody. This is an incredibly fulfilling thing. And it, it, I think this is what brings a lot of meaning to life after these transformative experiences. And this is something, too, we talk a lot about. You can always tell when someone is, quote-unquote, doing the work or they're just seeking another high through these experiences. And what we mean by that is that they become a pillar of strength, of resolve, of resiliency, of adaptability, of awareness, of some degree of wisdom and understanding, tumultuous circumstances and how to move through those things in a good equanimous way. And then uh, they're... Their orientation is no longer so obsessed with themselves. And this is, I think, one of the most important things to take away from this work. And like once again, as I'm as I'm sharing all this stuff, I'm not myself an epitome of this by any means. I'm, I'm as I'm saying this, I'm <laughs> yeah, I have another script in the back of my mind that's going ah, uh, yeah, okay, I need to work on this part and that part and change this and tinker with that just to check myself here as I'm saying these kind of things. But really, it's about growing out of this selfish, claustrophobic, fixed, uh, limiting, victimized mindset and stepping into a place of creative, inclusive, uh, celebratory service, benefiting others and uh, all the good things that come from 
selfless, compassionate action. So, covering a lot of things, willpower, self-discipline, perseverance, service to something greater than yourself. And, and that's, I think, one thing that keeps people moving on the path where other people will get fixed on some things and stuck, which is that if your whole mission on your integration work is just to benefit yourself and for you to become something really cool or to obtain something or to have some status or desires fulfilled, then you're going to have a very limiting, uh, a limiting journey that's only going to, it's eventually going to start running in circles. And the only real expansion is going to come once you are able to really think about the needs of others and then act upon how you can benefit those people. Uh, we like to always tell people, find where your joy and your service intersect. And that is uh, a teaching that I've heard past. And it's like, it's one that that's always stuck and resonated really deeply with me because the idea is, you know, what is it that you love to do? What makes you happy? Just go from there. Like, what makes you happy? Like, don't even think about money or time. Like, and just something that you've done in, in the past that makes you happy. It could be something really simple. I like to go outside and go hiking. I think a lot of us like to do that, right? It makes us happy. Okay, so how can you make that intersect with service? You know, maybe you get a job when you're bringing people to do uh, group excursions outside for like disenfranchised youth or, youth or something like that. For instance, one I like to tell people about all the time is I love to beatbox. As you go on my Instagram and things like that, you can see that all the time. I like to do a little bit of like something, whatever, like that. I love beatboxing. It's fun to do. And uh, I wound up getting a job years ago where I started teaching mentally and physically disabled kids how to beatbox. And it was like a form of speech therapy. And I was like, this is super cool, man. I'm just teaching these kids how to like make these crazy sounds and it's benefiting them tremendously. And like you could see what would happen with the kids is that they would go from being in this place of completely shut down and unable to express themselves and like physically all curled up. And then we call on them and they would like light up and open up and they would just express something and then they'd be super happy and then they'd be sociable. They would be responsive. It, it like flipped on a switch in their brain. Uh, and so that's like, you know, my own examples, like I found something that I just enjoyed doing and I got to, I went to like the Bronx with these amazing beatboxers and they taught me how to beatbox and it was like a super cool experience and it, it, uh, it just opened my mind to the possibility of how just find something you enjoy <laughs> and then think about how could, can you use that to help people and if you can do it with beatboxing you probably can do just about anything that's beneficial and with the internet these days there's all kinds of creative ways to like link into organizations i found a nonprofit. it's called bnyc that was the one that i was working with and uh, i was actually working with them uh during the pandemic as well um not so much in this past year because i was busy traveling doing other things but uh this is something that you know we all can meditate like what is it that makes us happy like where, where, where and then how can i share that with people where's the intersection with the whole thing and uh, that 
focus on other people. You know, in 12-step programs, they say, I have become relinquished from the burden of self because I am now focusing on other people. And I've heard talked about, like, with meditation, you know, there's something that happens when we're fully inwardly focused, and then there's something when we're externally meditating. And there's, in deep Buddhist traditions, like, you meditate on something outside of you. In indigenous shamanic traditions, you meditate, like, on a fire sometimes. There's different approaches to things. Uh, and it's all meditation. And there's something super cool when our meditation gets shifted to, like, I'm going to meditate on the needs of others because then what happens is it's not just like a thing where you're a passive observer. Now you're being called into a position of action. And then that's where it's like things get super cool because all of a sudden you get to start to move in ways that are totally new to you. At times uncomfortable. Like when I went to go do the beatboxing, I didn't really know how to beatbox. I'm pretty good at it now. <laughs> but I wasn't very good back then, and it was, like, really awkward. But I actually learned from the kids I was teaching because I was unable to do certain sounds, and I felt, like, awkward and uh, self-conscious as I was doing it. But then I was, like, listening to these kids, and I'm like, they're mentally disabled, and they're able to do it, and it sounds cool. And so maybe I'm just being overly judgmental because obviously I can do something. That's why they, you know, gave me the job. <laughs> and... uh you know, just being able to see past my own ego, being able to see past my own insecurity, and it cleared the way. And I probably wouldn't have learned that as quickly had I not been just focusing on needs of other people around me. So this has always been some, this has always been like a tool in my toolbox when things get difficult, service to other people, just and it doesn't need to be complicated. It doesn't need to be like a job with a nonprofit that has all these commitments and things. It could be something like you're at a party, you become totally socially isolated and shut down, you feel terrible. Instead of pulling out your phone, go do the dishes. <laughs> and it's funny because like I, I, that's one like I've still struggled with at that time. You know, it's like it's all because there's always this lower aspect of ourselves that wants to pull us back into distraction and instant gratification. And it requires, in my opinion, a higher degree of consciousness to make a small decision like that that is seemingly insignificant than it is to make like a large, grandiose life decision. And that's because, uh, it's easier to justify these small things. Oh, like I'm just looking at my phone. Everyone looks at their phone. No big deal. <laughs> but like that's not a real act of becoming conscious. And you know, that time like, okay, I'm going to do the dishes. And then you do the dishes. And then what happens? Oh, suddenly like you're focusing on something other than the fact that you don't feel whatever, able to relate to others. And then suddenly because you're just focusing and cleaning the dish and you maybe you need a towel, you ask someone, hey, can you help me with this? And and they're like, yeah, huh, maybe you can help dry. Okay, cool. And then you start talking about something and, and, you know, maybe you stop talking not because you can't or you don't want to, but just because it's not needed. <laughs> and like, you know, this is just a, a kind of like a silly example. But if you think about it, uh, if you're a person that's just been pummeled by alienation and a lack of real human connection, which is like a lot of people in the society that we live in, 
then this could be something that could just like totally change your whole perceptions. You realize like, oh, the issue is not like other people. People aren't bad. The problem is that like I am focusing too heavily on something within myself, I'm, which is just me. I'm too obsessed with myself. I'm too caught up in something. I need to shift my focus to the outside world and see what it is that I have to give, not just take. And maybe I have something that's really powerful and really potent to give. And it's not something that's like a material object, but just like an act of service. You never know how small acts of service can restore people's faith in humanity. We think, once again, it's these big things that have to be life-changing. And, like, those things are amazing and they're great and they're cool to talk about and they're important. Like, wow. But at the same time, some, it's really like these small little things that we do on a daily basis that accumulate and build up over time. And it's like focusing on each small step at a time is what leads to radical transformation and a grounded sense of confidence in being able to move freely in the world from a selfless place. That's my perspective on it. And it should be uncomfortable. The whole thing, the whole day, it should just be uncomfortable. If you're comfortable, you're not growing. Growth is uncomfortable. It's it's awake, it's pushing through the blockages. It's what you actually want to have happen, but the lower part of you that wants to remain coddled and cuddled and soft and gentle and woo-woo-y and oh, this feeling and that feeling, that part of you does not want the change. That part of you is afraid of it. And that's the part of ourselves that we just need to just break ties with. And we need to step into the unknown. And I love this quote. I think... <laughs> uh, I don't have it written down here, and it's a quote from Terrence McKenna. I'm going to pull it up. Uh, Hurling yourself into the abyss, I believe, is what... Yeah, here it is. Okay. So, I mean, this is a beautiful quote. Nature loves courage. You make the commitment, and nature will respond to that commitment by removing impossible obstacles. Dream the impossible dream... And the world will not grind you under, it will lift you up. This is the trick. This is what all these teachers and philosophers who really counted, who really touched the alchemical gold, this is what they understood. This is the shamanic dance in the waterfall. This is how magic is done, by hurling yourself into the abyss and discovering it's a feathery bed. I love that quote. That's what we're talking about. Nature loves courage. Okay, what is courage? Courage is not being fearless. It's not being radically confident that you know you're going to be successful. It's stepping into positions and places and activities where, holy shit, I could fail. I could get hurt. I could be humiliated. I could be broken by this. I could lose everything. <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway in spite of how i feel i don't feel great about this it's intimidating me i have a feeling that everything could go wrong 
but I'm going to go that way anyway. Have the conviction and the steadfastness. And he says, you make the commitment. The commitment. What does it mean to be committed? It means that no matter what, it doesn't matter how much it hurts. You're going in that direction. It's the epitome of mental toughness. It's saying, it doesn't matter. I'm still alive. I can't quit. (laughs) I have to keep going. It's the only way out. There's no other way around it. And then he says here, nature will respond to that dedication of commitment by removing an impossible obstacle. There's no way that you could do this. It is impossible. But nature is transcendental. It is not what you think it is. And it will remove obstacles. Doors will open where before there were only walls. Wow. Dream the impossible dream. And the world will not grind you under. It will lift you up. And you got to just look at history, right? Like the people who really changed the world. They were crazy. The things that they did. Look at Mahatma Gandhi. Look at Nelson Mandela. Just look at look at the Beatles. Look at just anybody that pushed the envelope. Their methods and their approaches were, you know they were scared. Like, hell yeah, they were scared to do what they did. But they did it, and they were unconventional. And they fought outside the box. And they trusted something much deeper than rational mind, rational thinking. And this is what all the teachers and philosophers who really counted, you know, and that could be teacher is not just someone who's teaching. I am teaching you. It's someone that just lives with these principles. Maybe they never quote unquote teach anyone anything, but their life itself is an expression of the teaching. This is real magic. Hurling yourself into the abyss and discovering it's a feathery bed. That's perfect. I love that. So embrace and trust the unknown and you will find your freedom there. (laughs) So Terrence McKenna, thank you for that quote. That is very helpful for all of us. So that being said, I like to tell people with this kind of transformational work to really approach it from like a perspective of getting the pillars in alignment, almost like with the psychologist Abraham Maslow, like a hierarchy of needs. And I'm not going off of his little pyramid or anything like that. This is just my own list here that I have. Uh, But what I have written here is, you know, you want to get these things aligned, your diet, your sleep, exercise, proper exposure to natural light, time in nature, social and community connection and service, and spiritual discipline, and creative discipline, which is also a spiritual discipline. So these are like foundational things, right? And my philosophy with it all is like you bring balance to your body, your emotions, and your mind. And from there, creative visionary action and service to others will naturally unfold and the premise here is like you know sometimes we can get really caught up in these uh i'm going to take on this project or like i have this crazy vision for how to save humanity or something just that's grandiose but you know the person is like they're they're broke and they're not eating healthy and they're overweight 
or they are uh, working in some like tech situation that's totally spiritually debilitating for them. And perhaps like that service project is an antidote to that to those circumstances. Like that's something that's one thousand percent valid. No one's discrediting that. But what I think is wonderful is that you can uh, take these like more transcendental visionary things but make sure that you are also like on a humanistic physical material level like you know taking care of uh, taking care of the shop like you know you're eating healthy you're getting enough sleep you're taking care of the temple the body is a temple you need to treat it with care this is a, a, a path that's all about the heart it's all about caring and responsibility and making sure that we're not uh depleting ourselves in a way that is inhibiting us from our greatest act of service and creative action and that's a oftentimes a difficult thing for a lot of creative and visionary people it's like you just have a tendency to just become like firecracker and it fizzles out and then okay and i you know at times i've been like this myself where it's like i've run myself into the ground with uh different projects and things like that many different projects (laughs) and I can look at this point in my life and say you know it's really good to have this kind of equanimity of action of balance and everything more of like a stoic discipline because a real discipline it should be have more of a of a temperamental nature to one's action at the foundation and the core of how we move around and trusting that like if we aspire towards sanity aspire towards groundedness maturity responsibility self-discipline mindfulness and discipline of character speech action emotion body thought mind all this stuff if we do that then all the other higher more challenging things will be will just naturally and more gracefully come into our lives and we won't need to fight so hard to force them to come into the place and one of the quotes that i love that you know also comes from i heard it from the navy seal community it goes slow is smooth and smooth is fast slow is smooth and smooth is fast this is a really beautiful way on how to approach virtually everything and but more specifically perhaps like work where we feel overly a sense of urgency to activate something realizing that if we can approach it with a little bit more grace a little less tension a little more mindfulness and spaciousness the project will unfold more in harmony and accordance with nature so tortoise and the hare right there's a reason aesop's fables right these stories like it exists for a reason but this is a mantra that I, i found is applicable to any discipline any practice, any relationship. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. It's very like it's it's perfect. I don't know who came up with it, but it's beautiful. And it's not one that I personally have had <laughs> immense success with. I tend to do things too quickly. Uh I my Aries impulsive nature. But nonetheless, it's a great mantra. And it's all I think it's a, it's a, a focus and a meditation on how to bring grace into our lives, you know. And from like a stoic perspective, from a Buddhist perspective, like 
It's here. It's now. We don't need to go anywhere to get what we're searching for. It is within us. It is present inside of us. We simply need to take space and get out of the way and allow things to arise on their own accord. What we're seeking exists inside of us. It's not out there. We don't need to go get it. We don't need to become worthy of it. (laughs) We don't need to change anything about who we are to access it. And that's what's really interesting about these transformative experiences is that if you look at it right, you could be completely spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, morally bankrupt, whatever that means. It's like the antithesis of what, you know, a, uh, a saint would be, let's say. And you go into ice water, or you drink ayahuasca, or you go on a vision quest, or you go to Vipassana, you're going to have an experience that's transcendental at some moment if you do the work sincerely. You know, especially with like plant medicine where you just drink something. You don't even really have to do anything other than show up. And you have an experience. <laughs> and so to me, what that's trying to reflect is the point is like, you don't need to do anything necessarily. It's there. It's been there the whole time. Uh, I was in India. I was sitting under the Bodhi tree about, let's see, it was like 13 years ago. And I was talking with a uh, a yogi there. And he, we were talking and he said, the idea is like that some days it's cloudy, some days it's rainy, some days there's crazy thunderstorms. But nonetheless, there's always a blue sky. It's just sometimes it's all the way in the back and you can't see it. And then every now and then it peers through and the sun, it's brilliant and it's beautiful. And our work is not in trying to like seek out the blue sky. It's there. It's just there. It's more about learning to have a gracious, gracious attachment and spaciousness and equanimity, resolve and patience, and a humility to allow the storms to come and go, and not necessarily even get rid of them, but perhaps understand their place in the whole process. Without the negativity, quote-unquote negativity, pain and, and, and all this kind of dark stuff, so to speak, what reason would we have to grow and evolve? So I was talking about this is, uh, what is it, the word? It's like the <laughs> grist for the mill, I think is how they say it. It's what's there. It's what allows the, the transformation to occur. It's what pushes the seed towards the light is the quote-unquote dark. It has a necessary place and function in the universe, and it's learning to work with it and use it as a tool to use it as a force to propel you in the direction that you want to go in. You're not fighting against it. Maybe there's some kind of initiatory rebellion, right? As I was saying prior, but it's more like a allowing the sail to catch the right wind, using the opponent's momentum against the opponent. So, as we're talking here, slow is smooth smooth as fast. Invite grace into your life. Invite patience into your life. Understand in your integration period, even as the storm comes back and gets dark, the light is there. All is well with the cosmos. There is nothing to fear. You are a child of the universe, and you have a right to be here. 
believe that poem goes. So, that being said, you know, if at the same time, <laughs> if you want to expand that, uh, that sunshine and the, and to feel more connected with the place of lightness and ease, you know, don't expect things to necessarily um, clear up very easily if you eat toxic food, lack adequate sleep, spend all day in a plastic box looking at another plastic box, surrounded by fake light and devoid of meaningful human contact. Effort, right effort is required. And that's what I'm coming back to this again, right? Effort is in harmony with nature. And right effort will purify the disharmonious aspects of ourselves that have lost touch with nature. So, uh, you know, there are different things that are needed and work for different people at different times. But these pillars I listed above are relevant for pretty much anyone, in my opinion, inhabiting a physical body. They're just like essential things in order to feel a sense of like happiness and completeness. And, uh, you know, the philosophy here is make yourself physically, mentally, emotionally and spiritually strong, resilient, and resonant. Like, strong. Like, we're looking for strength. We're looking to be able to have the capacity to endure. And there's some quote by Nietzsche that I don't have the exact trans um, in front of me, but something where he's, like, literally wishing uh, misfortune and pain and suffering upon people he cares about. And it's, like, this kind of, uh, it's a little bit, like, a edgy thing to do, but what he's clearly trying to communicate is that he has found value in having strength to endure and has found the, the golden nuggets of like what of what adversity offers a human being and how it's like a medicine and how it empowers you and what doesn't kill us makes us stronger he said and so uh this is you know i wouldn't necessarily go on praying for people to be in misery but we can start to understand that we're seeking strength. And in order to become strong, you know, you need to be, you need uh, friction, limbic friction. You need resistance. You need adversity. You need obstacles, trials, and tribulations. That's what the whole path is about, trials and tribulations. You know, Bruce Lee said something like, don't wish and pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength that you can endure a difficult one. And... I think this is like where we understand finally that this is a path to becoming a spiritual warrior. This is like a warrior's path that this is like, okay, this is difficult. And as you go into a transformative experience, unlike something that's gradual, like I'm just, you know, meditating 10 minutes a day and, you know, I'm not trying to do anything that's going to like radically change anything. Like that's something that ultimately like, might bring a little more calmness to your life, but it's fundamentally going to reinforce the the social structure around you. It's going to reinforce, on some level, the egoic structure around you, your comfort zone. But, you know, if you go sit in, in the, you do like a dieta with the Shipibo for a month or something like that, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you're going to have to, take more of a warrior's approach to life and and not necessarily even something as radical as that but and also worth noting a lot of times transformational experiences just get forced upon us someone dies you're giving birth 
uh, you lose all your money. I mean, it's just, that's like kind of what life rolls with is these like radical shifts and things happen and change. And uh, having the, the position of a warrior and Trognam Trungpa, who brought Tibetan Buddhist to Tibetan Buddhism to the West, who was Pema Chodron's teacher, big fan of his, he talked a lot about this idea of being a spiritual warrior. You know, this idea of, and it's an inner path, right? It's about you're, you're able to hold with the strength and equanimity of allowing things to open around you and becoming aware of what's happening and non-reactive, even though there's incredible discomfort, at times pain, you know, challenges to your character, your lower nature wants to move, people in the outside world want to crucify you. Maybe they do crucify you. Could happen. <laughs> and But you're taking a position of like, forgive them, they know not what they do. I have compassion for myself, compassion for others. I am patient, I'm disciplined, I'm a warrior. This is what we are striving for in our hearts to act and move from this place. And when we go through these experiences, right, it's really like, as I said before, brutal wake-up call. Like, whoa, okay, this is going to be difficult because it's frightening. It's not like you just one day have it all figured out it's like you're constantly getting tested and schooled and you're like a bird jumping out of the nest and hoping you can fly <laughs> so uh on the journey though compassion which literally translates to suffer with along with humility love and peace these are the path the path is the goal. So it's not a far off concept or destination. It's something we're cultivating at every moment. Peace, compassion, humility, love, patience, perseverance, happiness. And you have to practice and cultivate the virtues and values now. There's no other time that there's, you can't wait. There's nothing to wait for. There's no more time to lose. Very famous text. No more time to lose, meaning this is it. Here you are. You've taken human form. How blessed and fortunate you are to have done that. Don't waste it. This is the moment to act. And how do you act? With virtue and value. With this compassion, open-heartedness, fierce determination to remain steadfast in the face of these obstacles that wish to shake you down into a lower place. So oftentimes, you know, you must practice these virtues in spite of how you may feel. Oftentimes, more often than not. And that's where, like, we say this is where the real work is. It's like you come to this epiphany that, like, whoa, like, the ego, which we all carry, is built on fear. It's built on survival. It's built on selfishness and, like, covetousness and desire and power. It's rooted in that. And it's not like it's good or bad. It's just, like, that's a lot of shit you got to deal with. That's not going to be easy. And that's going to be, like, painful and frightening to uproot that. And as Christ says, right, we must become, or he says something, I'm sending you out into the world, like, what did he say, lambs among wolves or something like that? And that's the thing, because as we disarm ourselves, 
take off the armor. <laughs> it's a very painful process. And there's this really beautiful book. I cannot remember it. I would like to know. It's an initiatic teaching about this guy who's been wearing this armor for like his whole life. And it's like, it's causing him all this pain. But like he feels he needs to wear it. And then he finally starts to take it off. And it's like this very, I think, frightening process and humbling process. But it, it leads to like the healing that the person needs. And obviously this is all of us with our egoic armor from childhood trauma or uh, you know, just all the fears that are just part of the human psyche. Like, how do we take this stuff off and become, expose ourselves to the world? But in a place of being a warrior and being able to endure, endure. What is to give light must endure the burning. I love that quote. So... <laughs> And when you're coming in contact with these super difficult aspects of yourself and you're choosing to act in accordance with these values in spite of how you feel and you're being challenged and shaken to the core, which is good. That's good because that means that's growth is occurring and creativity is being sparked. Stress is good for you. All this stuff is good. It's showing you the way... To move through obstacles. It's showing you that the solution is actually rooted in the problem itself. To not take the path of least resistance. To remember that the only easy day was yesterday. And that it's through hard work and steadfast determination, discipline, and commitment. That we can become the person that we're meant to be. Through grit and perseverance. Compassion. Gentleness. Humility. <laughs> So to practice this in the face, though, of horrific adversity, this is what's going to differentiate a real warrior from a paper warrior. I've heard Maestro Manuel say, I like this a lot, a real warrior from a paper warrior. The real warrior is the one that acts this way when things are really bad. And there's a quote here I like, you must become your very best in your darkest moments. I like that one. You must become your very best in your darkest moments, which is another way of saying this is what differentiates a real warrior from a paper warrior, meaning you're in a lot of pain. <laughs> Things aren't looking good. <laughs> it's probably only going to get worse on some level. You know, this is the this is where your mind is going. <laughs> Everything that could go wrong has go wrong, has gone wrong. Will you choose to act and lash out from a place of reactive anger, from spite, revenge, gossip, violence, theft? All the negative things. Will you allow your negative nature to guide you? Or will you call upon your highest capacity to be in service and character values and steadfastness Will you conjure your discipline? Remain equanimous. Remain peaceful. Remain compassionate. Forgive them. They know not what they do. They're stabbing him in the chest. And the guy's saying, forgive them. 
<laughs> that's a true warrior. That's like wow. That's that. There's a reason like that symbol has become so important, regardless if anyone was actually a real person or not. But the one who remains disciplined, humble, tenacious, and steadfast in the adversity of pain, insurmountable obstacles, not just when things are easy, is a true warrior. You must become your very best in your darkest moments. And you will not rise to the level of your expectations. You will sink to the level of your training. Okay. So your training is not about becoming the fastest runner, the longest meditator, the best singer, the greatest builder, the coolest artist, the greatest podcaster. Or any of these things. It's nothing to do with that. It has to do with your character when you are challenged. And they say that it's not so much that adversity sculpts character. It reveals it. Adversity reveals character. Because it shows you where your training is at. Okay. We're starting to understand something now. <laughs> You must become your very best in your darkest moments. And you will not rise to the level of your expectations. You're going to sink to the level of your training. So, what do you do? Well, remember to be patient with yourself. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Okay, be patient with yourself. Maybe our lack of patience with ourselves is what's caused a whole hell of a bunch of the problems to begin with. <laughs> Just a possibility. <laughs> the Buddha said, the master has failed more times than you have even tried. So, what's the rush? This is an eternal process. The master has failed more times than you have tried. So, we encourage you, fail forward fast. It is only through failing and daring to try something new that one experiences growth, perspective, and wisdom. It's through failure that we actually begin to receive the education that we need. It's half of the education. We live in a totally backwards and confused and immature culture where the idea that you should be succeeding all the time, everyone gets a trophy even when you have a 0 and 10 season, is <laughs> just totally nonsense. Because when we actually fail, we can receive the gift and the reward and success and achievement of humility to realize that we have a lot to learn about many things and that it's important that we learn those lessons, process them in the appropriate manner, receive the teaching so that we can act in the correct manner, right action. So failure is life's way of educating us. It's not life's way of punishing us. We have conditioned ourselves to affiliate it as a negative and we punish ourselves. And of course there are situations where we fail in something, you know, I mean, if you decide to in a uh, lapse of judgment, get drunk and then drive a car and you crash it and kill someone. Okay, like, you know, that's more than just like, 
oh, I learned my hard lesson. It's like, you know, obviously you destroyed someone's life and so on and so forth. And <laughs> I mean, these are like how to grapple with something like that is, is another discussion. But the point being, like, we're not denying that there aren't failures in life that are, you know, radically horrific and, and you struggle with perhaps the rest of your existence. But we're trying to just say that if we can shift our perspective, that's really what I always tell people about these experiences and what we're looking for. We're always trying to change our perspective and understanding what we're doing. We're shifting our perspective. So fail forward fast. Like, yeah, fail. Make mistakes. <laughs> Just make a mistake. Just do it. Because so much of what has created this like pent up anxiety, depressed, alienated, isolated, fragile ego, it's all pent up, is because you're afraid to make a mistake. You're afraid to look ridiculous. You're afraid to be the fool. And like that fear is what's holding you back from just allowing yourself to flow. And like it's funny, I had a moment like this in my in the business I work with Ditch Project. I had I was playing the Chirongo. I love playing the Chirongo. <laughs> and I was singing a song and like I can sing. I'm not the best singer in the world, but I can do it. And I was like nervous and I was messing it up in the video. And it was just funny because I've done it thousands of times and stuff like that, but I could still feel there's the fear of like, I'm making a mistake and I look ridiculous. And like, that was a huge part of like what I was working through was just to feel, okay, like I'm doing this as a performance. Cause ordinarily I play music in like a meditative space. I'm rarely doing it like in front of a camera and people staring at me, like expecting to be essentially entertained or something along those lines. So for me, it was a really good opportunity to see like where am I clinging, you know, where am I stuck? <laughs> I I don't want to look. I I need to be like really good at the instrument. Ooh, like like it matters. No, it doesn't matter. What matters is that I'm trying. What matters is that I'm putting myself into that place where I'm coming in contact with the attachment to being like oh, I'm a master charango player. Ugh. Which I'm not at all. Like, it's something that, like, no one really taught me how to do it. I just sort of just picked it up and started playing it and, like, did learn by just by doing it in front of people. And <laughs> I still have all kinds of, like, you know, emotional insecurities around uh, certain songs and things like that because it's just not, like, 1,000% my best, you know, uh, top-level gift that I have to share people or something like that. But the... Uh, <laughs> it's funny when you start to see how much the fear of looking ridiculous is what actually makes you look ridiculous. If you just got over like, yeah, whatever, I'm just playing and this is how I, this is how I jam on it. And like, yeah, maybe it doesn't sound the best, but this is how I play it. If you just like accept that fully, then what I have observed happen is you start to relax and you start to flow. And then all of a sudden what comes out is like actually like really cool and <laughs> people vibe with it. And then you're like, oh, all right. And it's like, yeah, like it's kind of punk rock. It's not like we're trying to be, you know, like a uh, some grandiose thing. And to me, this has always kind of been my approach. I like punk rock stuff. It should be like a little bit raw and gritty and kind of screwed up in some way. <laughs> because that's authentic. And we're not looking for like some uh, distilled perfect vision of ourselves and this is what more and more I want to try to offer with this work is like 
okay, like, if something is fucked up, like, then it is. And that's okay. Like, that's good. Good. <laughs> like, that makes you human. And this is one thing I, I was talking to people about in the last retreat I was doing was, uh, this is a very important thing. In Okay, so this is from him, Joseph Campbell. He says, if you look at the Christian sense, like a monotheistic God, doesn't need to be Christian, just monotheistic. God's up in the sky and he is perfect. Okay. Like, that's totally unrelatable because there's nothing down here that's perfect. Everything down here is like totally screwy and A-wired. And even if it's good for a moment, it breaks the next. And so how are you actually going to relate to that? It's not relatable. So then it creates extreme uh, fracture. It, it dissociates us from it. And then we don't feel, we don't feel okay. We feel fragmented from God. There's something wrong with us. He's good. We're not. Okay. <laughs> and uh, then he, Joseph Campbell says, but if you look at like a little puppy dog or a baby, you know, I have a one-year-old son. He's a perfect example of this. Like they're just hilarious. And that's because they're totally screwy. <laughs> they can't walk without falling over and their actions make no sense and everything they're doing is totally wonky and it's like just the goofiest thing you've ever seen and it just makes you realize that like that well, well that's relatable so it loosens us up it makes us lighthearted we laugh we're not so hard on ourselves <laughs> and uh that is divinity right like that's the divinity shining through the form of me and Makoa, my son, or the little goofy dog that tries to bite my heels when I'm I'm running by the house in the morning, <laughs> and I turn around and it freaks out. <laughs> these kind of interactions, like these imperfect things, and then understand that we are like this too. And Ram Das has this really beautiful thing where he's like, if you go into the forest, you see all these crazy trees, and some of them are just totally rotten, full of bugs and stuff. And others like sequoia trees is magnificent. And you're never like, oh, I don't like that tree because it's rotten. There's something wrong with that tree. No, you just appreciate it as part of the ecosystem. Like, oh, check out that cool insect. All right. And we have this constant thing. Like, we have to judge something because within ourselves, as if there's something wrong with it. No, there's nothing wrong with any of us. And we're, we're fine the way we are. This is coming back to what I was saying about this idea of like, the sky is always there. The blue sky is always there. Even though there's these things that are in the way, the blue sky is always there. Don't forget it. Keep coming back to remembering this. And it's through discipline that we can remember this, that we can clean up our thoughts and our nervous system and our perception and our our patterns so that we are just staying awake which is just to say that we're able to be in a place where we're not making these constant judgments about everything you know when some things are good other things become bad how can we step out of this way of relating so we're going to get into some like more practical tools and practices for discipline uh, before we do that, I want to share this quote about failure from Teddy Roosevelt, of all people. It's not the critic who counts, 
not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without short coming, <laughs> but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither knew victory nor defeat. That's powerful. That comes from a speech I believe called The Man in the Arena. And... This perspective on failure is one that is like you must adopt this to be ever be successful in legitimate integration work from a transformative experience because like what happens is you have this experience that's like, oh, I'm divine. I'm, I can do anything. And you can on some level. But the process of trying to get there is like, God bless me, difficult. And you're just going to fail over and over again. And the only success is not going to come from like you're just good at something. It's not like you just woke up and you're like, yeah, I just, I had the vision to be like a musician and I just, I just figured it out. No, it comes from like thousands of hours of practice and like committed dedication and sacrifice. And so what I want to impart here is like just bringing failure more into your life as a teacher in a teaching and not as a punishment. There's no there's no failure. There's just lessons and teachings. And the more that you can learn, the more empowered you're going to be. And that's why a lot of times, like, the best thing that ever happens to people is they hit rock bottom. You know, and then they finally are able to get sober. Then they're able to finally go in the direction they were supposed to and change their life. And this process of failing in looking at it as an education like, what a liberating idea that can be. And then also the burden it can lift. Because you can start to look at ways, like in life, maybe you lost a bunch of money, or you, you lost a relationship, or you were supposed to be chosen for some position, and you lost that. And especially if you lost those positions or money or whatever the circumstances were, wherever you failed, if it was if it was related to a set of circumstances where you put yourself out there on the line and it required a daring act to do so, and you did that, like, whoa, you dared to do that. That's amazing. Like, I, I, I say this, I'm saying this to myself, essentially, as I look back on things where I failed, and, you know, there's a couple things in particular that happened right before the pandemic where I had, these, had this big opportunity to be moved into this specific position, and, like, I just made a reactionary statement at the time and it just the whole thing just went nope that's it can't do it <laughs> and like you know later on like I, I i was able to like recuperate but it's still something like i look at it, like oh what if i hadn't done that but you know what though like it was a tremendous learning experience like what i had, had if you succeed you don't really learn anything because you're just convinced in your arrogance that you're i'm already doing it right it must it must be good because it's working 
<laughs> maybe that's not arrogance. Maybe that's confidence, depending on who you are and what you're doing. We'll admit that. But at the same time, you're not necessarily learning anything because you're just rehashing what you were doing. And it's and it's it's not challenging you to move outside of uh, what you thought. No, I'm sorry. It's not. It's not challenging. It's not challenging you to rethink the thing and then approach it differently. It's reinforcing you. It's reinforcing the activity. If it, the activity is being reinforced, then what need is there to change anything? You know, and in neuroscience too, when you come into a situation or problem and you don't know how to solve it, you know, on previous knowledge or instinct or whatever it is, then the brain goes into a state of neuroplasticity, and neuroplasticity is very good for you it's how growth and learning occurs but the thing that's funny is that it it doesn't come from a positive place from emotionally speaking it comes from a place of being like frustrated disoriented and and conflicted (laughs) so if you want to increase neuroplasticity it's like you can eat medicinal mushrooms and stuff like that or you could just like go work on a construction site for a day and just wait for the first obstacle to hit you that you don't understand how to work through (laughs) so what we're trying to emphasize is there's tremendous value in failure, in mistakes. And they only come when you dare to do something. And if you choose to be that person that does something, like, you should not take pride in that, but feel, like, a sense of completion and encouragement within yourself. Like, yeah, I'm doing that. I am pushing myself. I'm not just being a complacent, passive consumer. I'm seeking out growth I want to evolve that's beautiful that's the most important thing it's the most important thing we can do her lives is say that we want to evolve we don't want to remain in this place of nothingness or you know our dead zone wasteland wherever you want to call it of just complacent we don't want to be complacent you know, we don't want to be in a place of mediocrity. We're not looking for mediocrity. We're not looking for the path of least resistance. We want to do something that's difficult. We want to find out who we are. We understand we can only come to a place of revelation about ourselves by going through trials and tribulations. In the Quran, it says, "Did you not think that you did you think that you would not have to go through the same trials and tribulations as those who had gone before you?" So seek out trials and tribulations. And when you fail, good, you failed. Okay, now we can understand the answers from an even more deeper place of experience and knowledge, which will make it twice as easy next time we have to go through that trial and tribulation. Or a different trial and tribulation where that previous one will inform us how to work through this one. (laughs) So... You know, and, and, and I say all this stuff from, like, from personally speaking, a lot of failure in my life. And when I, it's funny because, like, it's funny because it's funny now. Like, it, these things that were, like, traumatizing or painful or, like, humiliating, like, it's kind of just funny now. Like, okay. <laughs> and it's also fun because it's like, oh, I'm seeing, you can start to see how to move through things. And, like, this podcast in itself, I love doing this podcast. And it's born out of failure. It's born out of mistakes and like a desire to help others and do something that I love doing. 
and I only came to the conclusion and also the mindset and the tools and, and the way to navigate through the world to get to the place to do it <laughs> through immense failure, which means that it was not a failure. There was no failure. It was perfect because it's a process. It's not a completion. It's only a failure if you've reached the end. <laughs> If you're in a process, then it's just a roadblock. That's temporal. My teacher, my Sherman Well says, you never get stuck, you only slow down. <laughs> I like that philosophy. If you are committed to not quitting, then eventually you start to see that you're just occasionally hung up on something. The weather is always going to change. And maybe you need to put forth a little bit more effort to align yourself with the right effort of nature for things to flow a little bit more cohesively. But if we are afraid to fail and act, then you are a coward. <laughs> and we all are cowards at certain moments. But as much as we can, remember that meditation. I refuse to die a selfish coward. And this is the mentality of growth, of evolution of initiation that we need to embody. I refuse to die a selfish coward. I refuse to come to succumb to the obstacles in front of me. I will not give up and embrace failure and embrace the negativity and the stoic philosophy, amor, fati, love of your fate, whatever comes, whatever happens, it's for your benefit. It's good. It's what you need. And this is what the mentality, right, of like post-traumatic growth is all about. The idea that whatever is coming our way is exactly what we need to take the next step. And sometimes it's the absolute opposite of what we want. Yet, by allowing it to filter into our field, the gracious acceptance of it it can point us in direction where we really need to go so love of your fate and there was a philosopher right arthur schopenhauer talked about this concept uh, or rather the you know nietzsche kind of like derived this concept from schopenhauer although i've heard it's also a stoic philosophy of a more faith i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing it correctly but it's not important love of your faith though and schopenhauer said He's a pessimistic philosopher, and he would look around and he would see how, okay, how is it that we can see someone in harm's way and then save them by putting ourselves in harm's way and finding that uh, we're completely overriding any desire for self-preservation or survival. And the only way that this he could derive that someone could do this is because compassion the opposites are one. And he also found that looking back on life in old age, you would see that events that when they were occurring at the time that seemed randomly insignificant and scattered and how they unfolded, looking back, you would realize there was like continuity and a thread that connected all things, like an invisible guiding hand that was leading you to this very moment. And things that seemed like coincidence, you would look back and say, this is definitely not a coincidence. This was meant to be. And this is sort of where Nietzsche jumped into 
enforcing a more about the the idea of love of your fate the idea that there is an evolutionary pulse that's pushing you forward and that traumatic and difficult and painful things that's what you need that's that's the medicine for growth so embrace all medicine and embrace failure embrace change and Chognam Trungpa said that the bad news is you're falling the good news there is no ground this is an eternal process so we want to release ourselves of ambition understanding that there's nothing that we can get that is going to bring fulfillment but we want to toughen our resolve because things are going to fall apart everything's going to fall apart no one's going to get out of here alive right we need to constantly have this stoic remembrance of death this buddhist remembrance of death and if you listen to me talk especially on this podcast i'm constantly referring back to buddhism and stoicism with these uh transformational experiences and what i've i've really like about the stoic philosophy in respect to the buddhist philosophy is that while the buddhist philosophy is it's in very much a monastic practice at least in a, a certain degree like of course you can be a lay person in practice but in essence you know the the idea was that you would join the monastery to free yourself from life and what i like about the stoic philosophy is it's almost identical it's like the western counterpart at least from my limited understanding of it to buddhism but it's people who are in the world fully you have someone like Marcus Aurelius who is like the most powerful person in the world so you have people who are participating fully in society in positions where they're dealing with literal war and things like that and governance and politics but they're practicing essentially this inward Buddhist perspective equanimity detachment temperance virtue forgiveness generosity uh, self-discipline temperament if I didn't already say that and I think this is a good way to kind of look at how we can live our lives at the present day. Because, you know, if you're not living in a monastery, sometimes some of the Buddhist things can get a little heady and confusing. And I think that sometimes the Stoic perspectives can be a little bit more grounded and relatable, at least for a Western person. It's just an idea with that. So, having this understanding of like that whatever it is that we're searching for on this path and in our integration understanding that what's really going to bring satisfaction and really going to bring a sense of well-being and a peace is an inward contemplation self-knowledge remember death the buddhists and the stoics are both really emphasize this perspective remembering death meditating on death for meditating on change and impermanence that nothing is static this too shall pass and it's this hard confrontation with reality this truth that can allow us to be guided into a place of stillness and right action and our relationships especially in periods of turmoil and conflict and stress and dramatic change which is what we're all going through and experiencing in the world to this day so I'm going to pause on the philosophical aspect for here and now and going to get more into like tools that are more practical uh, for integrative work and we'll continue with the philosophical stuff as well um, 
because all of these tools are very much methodologies for basically acting as stressors for us to cultivate and challenge ourselves to build character, cultivate character, cultivate virtue, cultivate right action, effort, understanding, wisdom, knowledge, so on. So we're going to talk about the tools and how to implement them in uh, daily life and really practical things. Uh, so the first one that I want to talk about here is get good, consistent sleep. And <laughs> to make sure that I am not becoming a hypocrite, I'm actually going to go to bed now because I have to get up early because that is also an important part of the practices. Get up early and get active and preferably prior to dawn. <laughs> That's what I do. And uh, I'm just going to set an example for myself here and I'm going to go to bed and I feel really good with this podcast. So this is kind of just getting in the philosophy of transformational experiences and how to integrate them. From here on out, we're going to talk more about specific yogic disciplines and how and why they can help inform and guide you into a place of greater integration through whatever transformative experiences you are bringing into your life. So from there, thank you for listening and catch up with you next time. Hush, hush.